You're listening to Rockstar CX. And we are live. So if you are a customer experience professional looking to deliver a rock star customer experience, then you are in the right place. I'm super excited about today's episode because we are talking to Nicole Paradise about really how to create a customer experience strategy and then how to implement it. So if you don't know who I am, my name is James Dodkins. I used to be an actual real life, legitimate, award-winning rock star, but now I'm not. Now I am a customer experience rock star. Yeah, and it's kind of the same, except um, people don't buy you beer as often, which is unfortunate. Um, look, if you are watching live and you've got any questions for Nicole, make sure to put them in the comments below and I will ask them live on the show. But without any further ado, I think I can introduce now with the power of the internet, Nicole, are you there? I am. Good morning. Well, good morning from San Francisco, depending on where folks are in a time zone. Hello. Hello. So look, what I'm going to say first is introduce yourself, uh, introduce yourself, tell us who you are and what you do. Sure. So uh, I am Nicole Paradise. I am 15 years now inside of uh, architecting and uh, executing and then scaling customer centric organizations. So in, in the big umbrella here in Silicon Valley, people think about that as customer success, customer experience and, and all things customer centricity. Um, so that that is what I do. What I'm about, uh, I uh, I'm a big fan of traveling. So I've had a, a the good fortune to uh, visit all of our seven continents. So if people get bored and they don't want to talk about CX, they can ask me what it's like to try and hug a penguin and have that penguin tell me to, you know, go fly a kite. Um, but yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. Sweet. So um, one thing I do want to ask you is what's what's that Uno in space thing? Uh, the uno in space so so since i was a kid i've loved uno and that's like my jam and so it just wherever i've traveled to as strange as it is i always carry a pack of uno cards um and so when i hit my seventh continent i was like well damn what's the next frontier i was like well first i have to be the first person to go to the moon, to space, to colonize Mars. Like this sounds ridiculous, but this is just really how I think my future is is, is laying out, like bring customer experience to Martians maybe. Uh, so I was thinking, you know what, damn it, I will be the first person like recorded in Guinness. I will be the first person to win a game of Uno in space. And uh, it sounds a little nutty, but I, I, I can't think of a thing I've ever put my mind to that I haven't accomplished. So watch out, watch out space station. I'm coming for you. Well, I mean, it's, it is good to have goals. Definitely. <laughs> even, even if they're, even if they're strange, right? Hey, I'm sure as a kid, if you told your parents like, yeah, I'm going to go tour the world in heavy metal band and I'm going to be a rock star. They'd be like, um, sure. But you did it, right? So I'm not so sure that winning a bunch of awards in, you know, leather and guitars and all of that stuff is all that different than playing Uno in space, right? Well, I'm what, just, I'm what, just failing more than you right now. I have to, to win. I have to get in space, and then I can, I can say that I am my own version of a, an award-winning rock star. Well, yeah, that's cool. But why, why is it you seem to think I wear leather the entire time that you were, you were posting that on LinkedIn before? Why is it you seem to think that is, is that just like? What's that about? Yeah, so so as if I wasn't uncool enough, this will make me super uncool. 
I don't know that much about heavy metal, right? Like I am, I am the one who can like, I know of like two Metallica songs or something and uh, born and raised in San Diego. So I knew a little bit about like the straight edge and, and ska and punk scene. So at least I could relate there, but heavy metal, I didn't know anything. So I think when I think heavy metal, I think hair bands. So I'm imagining James winning awards. They're like spiked bracelets there's Aquanet hairspray that's going to be lost on some of our younger viewers, uh, Dep gel, and then just like leather pants, because that's like what glam rock was. And and now everyone is going to leave Facebook Live because they're like, wow, that's not heavy metal, Nicole. But that's what I got. That's that's the image. I'm imagining you getting your Grammy or something and you've just got big Aquanet hair and who knows. That's what I got. Yeah, I didn't win it when really cool awards they were just like some awards but i can still say it because they were still award. but anyway yeah nah I, I used to wear jeans and a t-shirt usually a free t-shirt because i like <laughs> things so right yeah. well the rock stars get free shit right yeah it's 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 quite it's kind of weird actually because the more you progress the more free stuff you get but it's like you get to a position where there's more like less free stuff you actually need it's right. like all all the startup bands they're the ones that need the stuff because like music equipment's expensive because we right. spent all our money on music equipment and then just wore free t-shirts that we could <laughs> find all over the so um yeah we, we were we were proper heavy metal not none of this poser crap that's coming out nowadays anyways it's, i'm okay. not gonna all old man about well, metal in my day it was i'm not gonna right. look so look let's so, get so back like, on track. You, you, viewers want to know have you um gnawed on or bitten the head off of a bat no have not all right all right well now we we've got the spectrum of not glam rock not ozzy osbourne got it yeah unfortunately supposedly, supposedly that was um that was an accident i mean i don't want to ruin the facade for people but he used so his act used to be that he bit the head off rubber bats on stage right. and like somebody, somebody threw a real bat on like a, i think it was dead and he he thought it was one of the rubber ones did Ooh. it like played it cool like yeah, i'm totally cool with this but he had to go and get right. a load of rabies shots afterwards <laughs> <laughs> supposedly that's um how it went so, that's, so, that's gross well welcome viewers we've we've gone from space to uh you know bats, bats yeah. that, that was a, that was a poor customer experience for the bat who see what i did there see what i did there brought it back round to the that's, way that's right there you go perfect perfect seamless no one will notice at all okay. look what <laughs> i want to know is so look you work for adp and um what i want to know is what do you do inside adp but i also want to know what do you do outside adp as well because i know there's basically like two worlds there for you so tell me a yeah. bit about the the two things that you do yeah, so I uh, work for ADP. Uh, people think of it as the payroll company. It's certainly a lot more than that. Um, this coming year, it'll be our 70th year in business. Massive company, right? Over 12 billion in revenue. So I've been there a year and a half um, and living and working here in Silicon Valley. Part of that, I was uh, head of customer success for a fintech startup. So my career has been in this architecting space um, where at every company I've been at, including what I do now at ADP, it's thinking about what is the fundamental CX strategy and then how do you make money off of that? Essentially, how do you create and understand and create experiences that are that are great for customers. Ultimately, it's great so you can grow wallet share. So that's what I that's what I do during the day. Um, and then aside from that, I'm really passionate about the power of storytelling. Uh, and I think uh, a, a lot of us are familiar with with 
TED Talks. Um, so here in San Francisco, uh, I am the head of experience for TEDx uh, locally. And so thinking about what is the audience experience from the moment they walk into a TEDx event, uh, then they go for why they're there, which is the, the, the speakers and all of those all of the stories that are being shared there. And then during those breaks, what is their experience? What is their overall community? That's the stuff that, that I do with, with TEDx. So oh, very cool. That's really neat. Um, so, so you talk about customer experience strategy, and that is the, the mm -hmm. topic of right. today. So let's say that I've just been given a role in a company, and it's my job to create and implement a customer experience strategy. Right. First question I've got for you is, Nicole, what is a customer experience strategy? <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so when I think about what a strategy is, uh, and I'll say there's there's the Nicole answer, and then you get kind of what I think gets to be a little bit of a fluffy answer. So the actual answer, what is a CX strategy? It's about providing a framework to a company so that the folks within that company know how to make decisions at all levels. The result being those decisions yield getting uh, new customers, gaining those customers, and then retaining the customers. Uh, so, so that's that's kind of the the whole strategy of it. Um, you'll notice that in the definition, I said that it's about decision making. I didn't say CX strategy is about delighting your customers, making them happy, be advocates, and that's where. I think as a strategist who also does execution, I think that's where sometimes our industry gets it wrong. Mm -hmm. Because if if fundamentally your CX strategy is about an entire company knowing how to make decisions and not about uh, making folks happy, that happiness, that delightfulness, that's, that's a result. That's not actually a, a strategy. So an example of that, a lot of strategies think about the customer experience as how much do I have to spend on my operation expenses, OPEX, how much do I have to spend on my capital expenses, my CapEx, so that they have a great experience for customer support, for customer service. And in the way that I run strategies, I think about customer experience strategy is as the whole end to end. So by the time, no matter how awesome the experience is when you call in, some shit's broken in the process, right? Like, like if it is truly a great experience for the person, if it's truly effortless, then why are they calling in? Even if it's something benign, like, hey, I forgot my something, or I've got to change my address, or why isn't this feature working? Fundamentally, that means that something in their experience broke because they're taking time out of their day. It's going to happen, it's just how it works. But my call to action when we're thinking about strategies is how do you create a strategy, which ultimately is a culture, so that everyone from your, your, you know, your IT girl or IT guy that's thinking about, I've got to spin up some storage and you know, put on some blades and some chassis, and, and I as that IT person know how I impact the customer experience to the same way that marketing to the frontline associates. So that ecosystem of how people make decisions in all of their meetings, that is what your strategy for customer experience is. Um, because in the absence of that, the people who pay all of our bills, which are the customers, if they're not having a great experience, <clears throat> they don't want to spend more and they don't want to tell their friends or their colleagues to spend more. And so I can't see any other strategy than why it wouldn't be truly customer centric and moreover, 
not just the bullshit term of put your customer at the center, but rather how does everyone from your intern to your CEO make decisions with the values of the experience the customer should have and the quality that the customer should have in mind. Um, so that, I think that's that's the the expanded version of what it is, what it isn't, and where I think sometimes our industry gets it wrong. Okay, so I mean that's, that's given me a lot to think about. Um, so what elements would you include within a customer experience strategy? Um, yeah, so the, the, the strategy of the strategy and then the tactical, so kind of a two-part. <clears throat> the strategy of the strategy is, yes, big corporations like mine or startups where I've been before, you typically have some sort of corporate strategy that says, here's what we're going to do for a three-year plan or a five-year plan. And then siloed from that is what's your product strategy. And then siloed from that is what's your customer success or customer experience strategy. And all of those silos are completely felt by the customer, right? And we can talk about unifying channel and omni-channel, all that. It just sucks. It just sucks for the customer. And so the, the strategy of the strategy is how do you get folks to come up with a, a strategy that is truly customer-centric? And so that level of unification between product marketing, sales, IT, customer experience, as it were, that has to be the number one tool in the toolbox is a unified, a uni almost like a unified brand out to the market. Because in the absence of that, you just have this really shitty experience that's siloed and people feel that. Um, how do you know what that is? <clears throat> well, then that gets into the tactical side. So a few really tactical tools that I like. Um, I found a tremendous amount of, of success with uh, with customer journey mapping, um, and we can double click into whatever of those that's interesting. But essentially, customer journey mapping is 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 two parts. It's thinking about the, uh, the a particular experience that you want to understand from your customer, bookending it, and and then it's it's the top half of the page is what is the customer doing and interacting with and feeling, and then the bottom half of this page is what's happening inside of your company. What are the people, the process, the technologies um, that make that true? Uh, and if it's awesome, what makes that true? And when it sucks, like it does for a lot of customers at a lot of companies, why is that? And, and it, it becomes less about finger pointing of, oh, that's product's fault, or oh, that's just sales. It becomes this unifying voice of why does this suck and how do, how do we fix it? Um, another tool I really like is, is customer listening, whether that's your net promoter system not just the score, whether that's your customer satisfaction survey, CSAT, whether that's the effort, uh, the, the effort score, all the, even the NPS transaction scores, I think the suite of those essentially say, I'm listening to you, I hear you, and our brand promise out to the market, our meaning any brand, becomes something like, hey, everything that we do as a company, we do because because we're listening to you, because we've heard you, and uh, and we want your business, we want your wallet share. Like we we can't hide behind this this idea that we just really want you to like us and we really want you to pick us. That's bullshit, and customers know it is. So if we're just honest and saying, hey, we want to have a conversation with you uh, because we want to understand how things are going for you in your world, your business, your thousands, hundreds, tens of thousands of customers, their business is changing at a rate that you as the company you don't necessarily understand because you don't use your product every day. You sell the product, you service the product. They use the damn thing every day. And, and so 
that kind of customer listening, inclusive of customer advisory boards, I think that suite of tools is uh, it, it's super helpful. And I have found over a long time of doing this, it it is one of the most powerful levers for getting a lot of us inside of companies that are super arrogant, that we are the smartest ones in the room because we are in product, we're in customer experience, we're in IT. It is a humbling baseline that says, let's put that shit aside. It, it, it actually isn't true what you think. Like going out to the market and just saying, we've changed or we have a new 2.0, that's a lot easier than actually doing the work. And to understand that Delta is where I think all of those listening programs come in. Sweet. So, I mean, I'll get back into that later with the whole the whole listening thing. Um, and I want to talk to you a bit about NPS and CISA and other things like that. Um, mm -hmm. But one, one thing you mentioned, which I really like, is, of course, the, the journey mapping and taking it that mm -hmm. step further, mapping what the customer does, but also mapping what the company does. And there's a wicked mm -hmm. analogy I like when it comes to that. And it's thinking about like a duck on the water. Um, if, if you've read my book, uh, Foundations for Customer Centricity, then you will have seen it. But anyways, um, it's basically we the top half of the duck that everyone can see is the customer experience. That's a bit everyone can look at and we can see it. And usually the customer experience guys only focus on that and they make the feathers a bit more fluffy and they put right. a bow on the duck's head and they put some lipstick on the duck, which is weird, but they'll do that. And then they'll look at it and go, yep, that looks a lot better. But they'll never yeah. look below the surface to see that maybe the legs are all crippled and dangling and like that. Right. Whereas the process guys, the internal guys, the systems guys, the technology guys, they tend to only look below the surface and they'll look right. at the legs and they'll say, okay, how do we make them more efficient, more effective? How do we automate them? Put little propellers on them. Fantastic. However, if they never take their head above the surface and say, well, actually, which direction is this duck actually facing? For all they know, they could just be making the duck go faster into the blades of a boat. And, you know, um, right. but there is a third element to it as well, which... um. I think comes back to one of your earlier points that it's not just the top half of the duck. It's not just the bottom half of the duck, but it's the water that the duck lives in as well. The ecosystem, mm -hmm. the environment, the that's habitat. Right. Um, and of course that's things, that's our culture at the end of the day. That's our, our metrics, our vision, our values. That's, that's everything who we are as people. Um, right. So that's it's, it's a good way to look at it and think about it and realize that you can't look at them in, in isolation. They have to be looked at really in a holistic sense which is neat um yeah. but this this it brings me on to the the next question i want to ask which is about what you asked earlier and you mentioned that this strategy helps people make decisions mm -hmm. okay and that's for me that's that's when it starts to become part of a culture yep. when people are every single decision they make is referred back to the strategy whatever that could be can you yeah. unpack that a little bit more for me yeah sure so um it's so twofold one as an intro to that unpacking, one of the things that I think makes CX so powerful and thus informs the strategy touches on something that you just said, like above the water, the duck gets a bow, the below the water, maybe it gets, you know, fins or motors or something. Uh, one of the things that I, of the many things that I really, really dig about ADP is, is on the surface, you know, living here in the Valley, you, you know, and I've worked at those startups where what, what makes a company cool and, and relevant tends to be, like you say, a lot of them are vanity metrics. It's, yeah. it's, I can measure, and I know we'll get into NPS, but like, oh, I can measure 
my NPS because it's an 80, not distinguishing there's a very big difference between a relationship and a transaction, right? Um, what I really dig about ADP structure is that customer experience, our group, the, 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 while we have many, many business units within ADP, as you can imagine with 56,000 employees, um, our particular group, uh, while we're all called customer experience and, and I am our strategy specialist, you've got BPI people in there, business process improvement who are lean Six Sigma, black belt, essentially, uh, if, if my role is, hey, okay, where are we? We're in a lake. There are this many ducks. Here are the experience, you know, the kind of the architecture of it. Once I get to those duck legs, if you will, and I know through customer feedback, we all know in our group that there's a friction point with ABC. You're right. What am I going to do? Throw it over the fence? So having business process improvement folks on our team, having data analytics folks that can say, I think this is true, but no one cares what you think, right? What does the data say? Having all of that in the actual ecosystem of CX makes the soft and fluffy perceptions that tend to happen of like, let's put, to your point, let's put lipstick on the the duck, which I'm imagining the logistics of that, and it's confusing yeah, it's, to me. But it's not, not um, a great analogy. <laughs> but, but but like I I so I so value that, and while I've seen um, nuances of that in other organizations I've worked in, I've never seen an organization so completely committed to fixing shit the right way instead of we're going to understand it, we're going to hold up a mirror, and then hey, let's go do it to the let, let's let's go give it to the folks who can really do the work. The fact that we are able in a full life cycle to understand what the experience is and then make actual strategic recommendations of how to fix it, I, I just think it is brilliant. And so then that gets to, that that's the same as, or, or kind of a compliment to, what does it mean to make decisions? Well, if in the CX world, we know that ultimately there is a maturity curve. Some companies are super, super immature and their goal, their strategy, how they make decisions is on a scale of make it suck less. <laughs> like it's true. Like you, you, we, we talk about, let's all be like Amazon and Bezos or let's be like, you know, AARP and, and, and all these folks that have ridiculously high NPS scores. I'm calling bullshit and saying the way that you make decisions starts with a very honest evaluation of the maturity of your company. So if you know that the product or service that you offer sucks and it just does, and people tell you all the time it sucks, then rather than desperately putting resources, your CapEx, your OpEx, to just brushing this, you know, back to the duck, you know, tuning up the duck. How about zoom way out and say, okay, well, wh why, why does it suck? How do we make decisions? One of the ways universally that, that I've made and our groups have made decisions over the years, whether you are at a, we want to suck less or we want to delight somewhere on that scale. It's a very basic process called the five whys. Mm -hmm. Um, and we at a number of companies have used this again, whether you're in marketing, IT, whatever, part of the decision-making is here's a thing that we want to do. We, this is the new marketing campaign. This is the new, you know, product feature. Product is a great example. Why do, you know, someone just says we need to have this new feature because our competitor does. Okay, cool. The end. But the CX strategy would say, let's stop. Let's make some decisions according to the five whys and 
does this actually impact the experience that the customer is going to have in a positive way? Because that will result in them and us either gaining new customers or retaining existing customers. And that five whys is as obvious as it sounds. We're product, we wanna have this new feature. Why? Because of our, you know, whatever, our, our competitor does the thing. Okay, well, why are we copying our competitor? That's your second why. Well, because they have market share and we don't and we want to get that. Okay, well, wh why don't we have the same market share? Well, because, and you can see this getting unpacked. Well, why? Well, why? And oftentimes, by the time you get to the fifth why, it's, oh, our market share issue is because we still have Rev 3.2 out in the market, which is only compatible on, you know, IE2 or something ridiculous and everyone uses Chrome. So that's why we need to invest in this different thing instead of just add the feature. And, and I'll give, uh, that's a broad example, I'll give a very specific example of a company here in Silicon Valley. They wanted to take their basic platform that people pay lots of money for and they wanted to make it new and sexy. And the inside out view was, here's the strategy. We need to upgrade this thing. We need to add these features and that's what we're gonna do. And it was rational and the echo chamber that is an inside company out to the customer view all agreed that it was the right thing. Um, that company went out to the market and had a very, very slow adoption, like in the low 10% adoption rate, whereas their previous version was in the 80s. And you start to get into the whys and the first why was everything you can imagine. It was the competitive landscape. It was well, but when they got through the five whys, the real reason was because the inside out view that that company had was let's develop the product on Macs because that's what everyone here uses. N not even deciding to ask what is the common mechanism that their users use. Well, 90% of their users are large organizations, enterprise companies, much like an ADP, who typically have your HPs, your Dells, your ThinkPads. And so the had the decision-making been, let's ask the five whys, let's keep the customer centricity. It would have been like, well, shit, wait, we're about to invest millions of dollars into something that makes sense to us because we live here in Techlandia, but is not adoptable to 90% of our customers. So now stop what you're doing and make it work for a damn PC. That sort of thinking, they lost millions of dollars, lost competitive market share because they were busy thinking about the strategy of themselves yeah. rather than what would be the actual experience that we want customers to have. And if they had thought about that, they probably would have not only been gaining new customers, but also retaining. And instead it was just this fucking PR nightmare of trying to figure out now they have OpEx and CapEx supporting two versions because no one can use the damn second version except those who had Mac loved it. You yeah. can see how the decision-making of what experience we want the customers to have would have had that company thinking about the customers who can't use Macs. And, and so that's just one example of, of why this stuff works at the IT level. They Had they been in the room making those decisions, they would have been like, wait, we don't even support that. What? That would have been at the product level. Marketing wouldn't have started a massive campaign wasting millions and tens of millions of dollars on something that 
well, it's cool if your customers can't adopt it or buy it, and that's your target market, that's your segmentation that you're driving to, yeah. what's, what's the point? There is no point. Well, definitely, it's, it's kind of like, it's, if, you, if you look back um, to the late, great Steve Jobs, it comes yeah. down to directly what he said. It's not about figuring out what cool stuff you can make internally, then seeing how you can cram it into people's lives. It's about going out into the customer's lives, understanding their real needs and their successful outcomes, and then working backwards into your organization to right. provide those things. So, it's, um, so, so what it sort of brings me on to next is that they, there is possibly such thing as a bad CX strategy, just because you've got a customer experience strategy doesn't necessarily mean that you're any better than anyone else. Um, so what are the things to, what are the red flags? If you were looking at someone else's customer experience strategy, what are the things that would be a red flag for you that would make you think, ah, it might be better for you just not to have one at all than implement this one. What, what would, what would you look out for? Um, interestingly enough, <clears throat> the first thing that I would look at, I would start with the employee engagement or the associate engagement. Mm -hmm. And why I think that is because it's very easy to say, have a customer experience or a customer centric strategy. Um, it, it's super easy to say that it's, it's much more difficult to actually enact that. And I think how to, to your hypothesis, if, if, if someone were coming into a brand new company, I would, what I wouldn't do is start a big baseline survey to your customers. What I would do is start a big baseline question and survey and, and campaign to understand what are the employees or what are the associates experiencing? Because your brand out to the market or, or what customers are buying, I mean, they, they don't, customers don't care at all about your products or services, like not one bit. They care about the value that it delivers. Right. And so you can you can have this shiny strategy that's product centric, that's customer centric, that's sales centric. But ultimately, if it's impact centric, how what, what's the ROI to your customer? The first way you're going to know that is not by asking them, because typically if you go out and survey a bunch of customers, you're going to get about a 10 percent response rate. But associate surveys, you can get 80, 90 percent typically of your employees saying, let me let me tell you what's going really well and let me tell you where the bodies are buried. And so back to that Silicon Valley case study we were just talking about, had a brand new strategist come in and said, hypothesis, we need to launch a 2.0 of this product and we think it's pretty awesome, but I'm going to check with the ecosystem. I'm gonna check the, the health of the water that yeah. the duck is in, as you we were saying earlier, there would have been a slew of quantifiable and qualifiable data from employees that would just say this this doesn't make sense and why or this is a great idea and why now do i think that that is the only step no but the step one is if your employees are not engaged and engaged is not bean bags and free snacks like it is here in the valley <laughs> engagement is i I have purpose when I come to work. I feel like I make a difference. And when I don't feel like I make a difference, I actually know that I make a difference because I have a leadership team that quantifies that for me. And that should be at the level of every intern all the way up through, through your C-suite. So that's step one. Understand the health of the folks that work there because that will tell you about the culture and, and the values. Um, those and how they make decisions. And you can see that how they make decisions 
uh, and the type of decisions they make when their boss isn't in the room and the type of culture and the type of shit talking or the type of, you know, the, the negativity that can happen when someone isn't in the room, that's going to tell you so much about the product or the visionaries in the room that are saying, here's where I think I can help identify the problem and identify the solution. That's really the step one is getting, uh, it's just getting a read on what's happening inside of the ecosystem. And, and then, then you know what the hell to go ask about evaluating the strategy externally. Because if you just use the tried and, and true tools of, you know, likely to recommend the questions, and this is important, the questions that companies ask customers, it's, I call it the me show. It's the me show of, hey, would you recommend me? Hey, were you satisfied with me? What was your effort with me? Hey, want to come and talk about me at our customer advisory board? And it's so incredibly self-serving. Mm-hmm. And there are, there are, there are, while that's helpful, there are broader dialogues that can happen with customers, but you got to know what the hell to ask. And I don't think you, you being the new strategist, you even being senior management, you're not in the weeds enough. And by the way, you're not paid to be in the weeds. So understand how healthy your ecosystem is and you'll know You'll know even what you're solving for and and where you are on that maturity scale of, okay, we just need to suck less versus we need to be ready to delight. 